You're listening to Kenny Soto's Digital Marketing Podcast, your number one resource for career and professional development, personal branding tips and tricks, and content strategy for digital marketers and business owners. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please support this podcast by sharing it amongst your friends, coworkers, clients, and your network. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kenny Soto's Digital Marketing Podcast. Again, as always, I like to start off with a note of gratitude to you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now recording episode 19, and today's guest is an amazing person. His name is Damon Burton. He is the owner of an international search engine marketing company called SEO National. After founding the company 14 years ago, he has worked with NBA teams, Inc. 5000 companies, and companies that have also been featured in Shark Tank. As a search engine marketing expert, Damon writes for Forbes, has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, BuzzFeed, and USA Weekly. He is also the author of the book, OutRank, Your Guide to Making More Online by Showing Up Higher on Search Engines and Outranking Your Competition. And considering he is a search engine marketing expert, it is very exciting to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Damon. What's up, Kenny? Thanks for having me. So I there's a lot of things I want to ask you, but as always, I think the best way to start, not only for myself, but also for the listeners, is to ask a very simple question. And that question is, what got you into digital marketing? Man, do you want the short version or the really amazing theatrical long answer? If there's a combination of the two, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, I'll try and do the middle ground. All right, so I started a website in 2000, 2001 called Elite Rides, and it was a car enthusiast website. So the, I still own the domain, but um, I just kind of archived it since then. So Elite Rides was, you know, in my early 20s, of course, I'm into cars. And so if you think like kind of Fast and Furious before it actually came out, I started my, my site before Fast and Furious came out. And so that actually kind of fueled it a little bit. Um, but what I would do is, is I would modify my car at, you know, I put a turbo on, I had a Honda Civic, the the usual kind of thing, wheels and all this and that. And so I would drive around and when I would see other cars that were modified, I'd, I'd be like, Hey, I'd flag them down and I'd be like, roll down your window. Hey, can you pull over for a second? And, and I, I just tell the, I'd I'd ask these strangers to pull over for a second. I say, Hey, I, I like your car. I'm into cars. Um, you know, I, that sounds obviously uh, lunatic, you know, kind of like a lunatic. So maybe it's I just got lucky because I, we could tell that we're both in the cars, and so most people would pull over, and I'd say, look, I got this website. Can I take a couple pictures? And I would keep these little bio sheets in my car, where they could write down their name and what kind of car they had and what kind of modifications they've done to it. And I said, I want to feature your car, and so I I built up this little car enthusiast website, and it started to to grow a decent sized audience in, in my local area. And I got thinking, how do I, how do I grow this further? And so that got me into web design more. And then as it continued to grow, I said, how do I monetize this? And so that got me into marketing. So I kind of, after that, it was kind of the usual story that a lot of other people have done where I did web design on the side and went through that process of sucking and so I, you know, wasn't very good for a while and I figured out how to get better. And, but I was cool with that. Like I was okay knowing I wasn't the best. And, and so as I did those side projects, I would be very transparent about what I could deliver at what's, what sort of value. 
And that really helped establish relationships. And, and, you know, 14 years later, that's one thing I still really cherish is the relationships that I've built. And I still have um, probably half a dozen of my clients from day one, 14 years ago. And what's ironic is for being a marketing agency, we don't do any marketing at all. So here I am, we've sold millions of dollars in SEO and I've never paid a dollar for paid ads. I mean, I threw a, I threw some money at funnels about a year or two ago, just as an experiment, but it wasn't, it was more for my personal side. and wasn't directly tied to the company. And, um, but other than that, yeah, we've like, I could probably connect the dots on nearly every single, not maybe like 90% of our clients um, as either a referral from another client or, you know, Kenny, you and I met on LinkedIn or, or another large percentage of those clients come from me just giving away free advice on LinkedIn. So that's, that's kind of the crash course, um, middle ground answer. And can you describe for the listeners, what is it that you do now? What does your daily work look like? Yeah, so I own a company called SEO National. We do SEO, which stands for search engine optimization. The goal of SEO is to have your website show up higher on search engines, but without paying for ads. So my daily routine, um, I, I could probably answer it two ways. My routine now is a little bit different than it was a couple of years ago, um, with the exception of last night. I told you I did a late night. Uh, but I don't really do super long days. Well, I guess that's relative. I still usually do 12-hour days. Um, I usually wake up at 5 a.m. Um, I'm not a morning person. Uh, if I could stay up late, I would prefer to. But I like getting a head start on the world. And I've, I've really found that that sets the, mo- the, sets the pace for the day for me. If, if I sleep in till 7, 8, 9 o'clock, I feel like I've just lost so much opportunity, which kind of slows down my momentum for the day. Um, the other reason is, you know, I have three kids and I like... I like going to bed with them and my wife and, and feel like I get that time with them or even before bed, like we hang out. And so in the morning, they're going to always be asleep. So I feel like that's where I can squeeze an extra time without sacrificing any of my time with my family. So I usually wake up, um, I'll work for two or three hours before the whole crew wakes up and then I'll hang out for an hour with my kids, have breakfast, hang out, just do whatever. And then they'll go to school. My, then my wife will do her thing. And then the kids will come they get out around three, three thirty, And as long as it's warm weather during the summer, um, I'll, I'll usually walk up and, and walk back with the kids. So I block off you and I talked about like Calendly and acuity, these different calendar things. Um, I block that time off. So that way, um, if it's a, a decent opportunity with the weather, then I can walk up and walk the kids back home from school and just get in that extra 20 minutes with them during the day. And then around five o'clock, I call it a day. And so five, I shut things down and, and hang out with the family. I, I don't work weekends. Um, yesterday, yesterday I did a late night because everybody passed out early. So I said, why don't we squeeze in some more time? But that's what I do. That's kind of the routine now, you know, 10 years ago, uh, being in my early twenties and mid twenties. And before we had kids, dude, I would just, I would just work. I would hustle it out because I knew I would have a family one day and I, and I didn't want to do that when I had kids. And, and so now I've, I've been able to accomplish that goal. And so I kind of embrace that time with my family. Now, there are a variety of professions that the audience has where some of them do social media marketing, some of them are already in SEO, others are strictly copywriters, strictly graphic designers. Now, from the SEO standpoint, what advantages and disadvantages does SEO bring as far as a strategy perspective is concerned compared to all the other elements that a business can use in their marketing? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm not one of those people. A lot of the, uh, these other marketers are like, funnels are the only way and everything else sucks and paid ads are the only way and everything else sucks. So I'm not that guy. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity for all different types of marketing for different types of products and services. Some work for others, some don't work for others. So if, if they're all profitable, then do them all. But the, the kind of general advantages and disadvantages, um, the advantage of SEO is that it usually has the biggest return. Um, the other nice thing is that you have kind of a fixed budget. So when you end up figuring out how competitive your space is and you get your rate from your SEO agency. Now, one thing I'd kind of like to emphasize uh, on a side comment is don't choose a package because with packages, the agency is either going to oversell you on more than you need, or you are going to choose the cheaper option and you're going to delay your own progress. So really try to negotiate and discuss or, or if hopefully the, the agency that you go with approaches it that way and they audit your website and they look at your competition and say, you have very specific needs and, and those needs are going to co- take this much time, which costs this much money. If they don't take that approach and they try and sell you on a package, try and open up that discussion that says, you know, I, I don't want to overpay, but I also don't want to get under delivered. So like, can you, can we better fine tune this to be specific to my circumstances? So the, the only downside to, uh, SEO is that it takes time. Like you're building a reputation and relationship between your website and Google and, you know, kind of the, the, average timelines it takes for us to launch campaign, you know, weeks one through two, like we are just staging things. We're loading uh, the account into our platforms. We're starting to do competitive analysis. We're starting to do keyword research. Then weeks two through three, we're kind of presenting that data to the customer and saying, hey, look, here's what we found. And here's why we think we should take this approach versus that approach. And then there's a week or two where we go back and forth and we find the happy medium once we finalize that all, all that research, I mean, we're a month plus into it already and we haven't even really started producing assets. So once that's done, you know, it's really important to front load your efforts because unlike paid ads, paid ads, you can turn off and on. SEO, you really shouldn't because if you get six months down a path and you change direction, you just basically burn that time and money for six months. You can't nimbly pivot. And so you really want to put in a lot of good time to make sure you are going to pick the words that you can monetize. Now, once you figure out what those words are, then you have to start building content assets that support those targets. So now you got to do a whole other research phase where you're like, okay, not only, you know, I don't want to throw mud at the wall and, and just guess at topics. You go to these websites and they're like the same generic crap over and over and over about their industry. So what you want to figure out is what's the buyer intent and actually tap into the questions that, your consumers directly, you know, are already asking or the problems they have and then answer that, those questions and solve those problems. So now we're like two, two and a half months into it and we're just barely starting to write and create assets. Then you have to distribute it and then you have to wait for Google to find it and you have to wait for Google to digest it and then shuffle the rankings around. So you're playing catch up a little bit depending on your industry and how far ahead your competitors are. So the, the fact that a lot of SEOs say it takes a year um, you know, for me, it, I, I really try to get people to mentally commit to a year, not to lock them in or anything, but I want them to make sure that they have a enough cash flow and runway to, to comfortably support this. Cause I don't want to take food off anybody's table, but B that they also have the patience to give SEO enough time to, to prove its worth because once it kicks in, like it's really hard to screw it up. And unlike paid ads, you know, paid ads are the opposite. Paid ads are a lot quicker 
but you always have a budget associated with it. Your competitors are always getting heavier. And so the cost per acquisition is going up. The cost per ad spend is going up. But with SEO, once you negotiate that rate, for the most part, it stays the same. You might have to tweak it you know, every year or two, but you're not turning it off and on and changing things on a monthly basis. So time and cost are the advantages and disadvantages. And you mentioned earlier when answering the question that a client really needs to think about the packages and negotiating something where it makes sense and they're not just picking the cheapest option that an agency is offering. Let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I either want to learn SEO myself or I want to train someone in-house within my team. What resources do you currently use and or recommend to someone in that particular situation? Uh, two options come to mind. Moz, moz.com is, is a pretty well-known, trusted outlet in the industry. And they have like, a, I think it's called like SEO 101. And they have a pretty lengthy guide that goes over it. Um, another option, if, if I can throw out a, a link of mine, is I wrote a book this year called Outrank. And it is exactly what you described. I had two two types of readers in mind. One was the little guys that can't afford SEO, but they still should have a fighting chance. So it's, it's 130, 40 page book. Like it's a book book. It's not just like a short PDF download. Um, so you, if you go to freeseobook.com, you can get a free PDF download. It's on Amazon if you want a physical copy, but reader number one was that like help the little guys out because there are so many outdated resources or shady agencies that just have really good sales guys. But the, uh, the, the second reader is the bigger agency or the bigger companies where they don't, they know SEO is the answer, but they don't want to spend the time on it. But like you said, they don't know what questions to answer to ask. They don't know how to qualify the right agency. They don't know who to trust. And so I wrote, you know, more than there's a whole chapter dedicated just to questions to ask, to qualify and find the right agency. Amazing. And I know that there's been a lot of changes in digital marketing overall in all aspects of digital marketing and especially this year. So my question to you now is what immediate changes have you seen with SEO going into pre-COVID and now COVID era? And what changes do you suspect might occur in 2021 when it comes to SEO? The only thing that's really changed, I think, is the demand. Obviously, I mean, the online marketplace has, has always been growing, but understandably, COVID accelerated it. As far as strategically, I don't think it's really changed that much. Um, and, and not just because of COVID, but I get this question pretty regularly, even before COVID, you know, what's changed over the last couple of years? And what's coming in the future? Nothing. And, and that really surprises a lot of people. And the reason why is because everything that comes along with new strategies or variables or opportunities of things to work with within the scope of SEO back into like a core pillar of SEO. So what I mean is mobile devices come along a couple of years ago. Great. It's still just a, a, an element of good design. Uh, voice comes along. Great. It's still just an element of good content. Like I'm not over here and me and my team aren't recording like little sound bites on our, on our computers and loading them to websites to give Siri and Google answers. What happens is, is, you know, voice is a great example of this. What happens is when you ask Google or Siri a question, 
it is giving the answer from a website that A, it can access the quickest, B, has the cleanest content that it can read quickly, and C, has a good structure and it trusts what is being presented to the search engine so it can digest it and send it back to the user instantaneously. So I think that's actually a big fault of a lot of people that get caught up in the new shiny objects and, oh, there's this new thing and let's just go all in on it. Um, I've always taken a well-rounded approach and just backed anything into just really standard core pillars of SEO. And, and it's always worked really well as these new algorithms come along. We've never had any client with a penalty. So freaking nothing, Kenny. <laughs> and if you were going to hire a new teammate or hire an SEO quote unquote expert for a friend, what criteria would you be looking for? What kind of questions would you be asking them to evaluate their expertise and their skills? I would start with the basics. I'd say, hey, tell me what areas of opportunity there are to improve my website. Um, anytime you approach an agency or an SEO, the first thing they should do is, is uh, at least what we do is we audit two things. So we audit what's called on-page so we audit your website structure and then we audit what's called off page, which is your external credibility when other websites link to you when other websites talk about you or your brand. And a lot of agencies will charge to do these audits, which I kind of understand. But the reason why I think they should do it free anyway is because you, how can you give a rate or a quote or know what you're walking into unless you audit and see what the competitive landscape is and see how good or bad the website is? I mean, there's some clients that we take on and you know seo kind of primarily has two categories there's lots of things going to those categories but the first category is like we said what do you do on your website the second category is what do you do externally to your website so there's some clients where their website structure is a total mess and there there's often times where i say look there's a lot of opportunity there for you on search engines but you gotta you gotta redesign this like the design the the design aesthetically and cosmetically is fine, but the structure is a mess. You need to have this recoded. You need to have this load quicker. We can keep the same branding. We can keep the same imagery, but we need to get you on a cleaner, faster backend. So there's sometimes where it's the opposite of that and the website structure is awesome. And so we don't know until we, we actually look at it and run reports, are we going to charge them three grand on month one to launch the account? Or are we going to charge them 10 grand because we got to wreck their site and rebuild it from the ground up? Are we going to charge them 20 grand because whatever? And so you really have to, um, I would ask kind of like an open-ended question and see if they, if they proactively bring you solutions or if they just give you like some generic bull crap, like, well, what I do is proprietary or they don't give you specifics. If anybody says proprietary, just freaking run. Because with proprietary, the problem with the word proprietary in the scope of SEO or internet marketing in general is that we all use the same damn tools. It's just who knows how to use them better and who knows how to analyze the data better and who knows how to combine the data from different resources better. So the chances of somebody actually having proprietary tools, especially if it's like a solopreneur or a small agency, they do not have anything proprietary. Maybe if it's a big agency, they might have something. But at the end of the day, it still does the same thing that all these other tools do. So look for honesty. Look for transparent answers. That, that's that's going to be number one um, when you approach an agency because you're, you're going to engage in a long-term relationship with them. And so you need to be willing to pay them month over month for a long time before you're going to get any of that return back. And so you really have to feel comfortable with what you're about to engage in. And 
you mentioned tools. Could you give us examples of free and paid software that marketers should be using? Yeah, there's uh, my favorite paid solutions. Uh, we often use, it's called SEO Power Suite. It's from link-assistant.com. And they have four or five tools that come in a bundle. We only use three of them. We use their site auditor, maybe two of them, their site auditor, and they have, which will analyze the site structure. Like we talked about, find broken links, find little SEO things that search engines read that are missing. Um, then we also use a program that they have called Spyglass, SEO Spyglass, which will analyze your backlink portfolio. Um, but then some free ones, like well, if you want to look at backlinks, there's a, a website called webmeup.com and you can kind of quantify how many links you have. So we'll often use that as a quick tool to just look at how competitive um, a backlink portfolio is of a lead versus their competitor and see how big that gap of backlink quantities is we need to close. SEOprofiler.org is another tool that's free. Um, you used to be able to just punch in the domain and scan your backlinks without registering. Now you have to register, but it's still free. And they have a paid account as well. Same with WebMeUp. They have a paid account. Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S.com is, is a popular one that a lot of people will be familiar with for a backlink analysis tool. Um, on the content side, a lot of people don't talk about some content tools there. I like to use Grammarly. And so I have six copywriters and they all use Grammarly. Uh, and then there's other tools. One's called Hemingway, Hemingway app. And Hemingway will try to, the difference between Grammarly and Hemingway is Grammarly takes a very structured approach and says, okay, the, you know, you could swap this out for a synonym for it to read better, or there's a spelling mistake here, or a grammar mistake here. Hemingway is not quite that. Hemingway is actually uniquely different. Hemingway will analyze how it reads and, and kind of tell you like, hey, this content is a, is a little too smart. It's too hard to read for a general audience. Or you could sound more casual by adjusting this. So it'll kind of help you align your voice with who you're trying to present your content to. My favorite author, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, has mentioned Hemingway app as well in the past. And mm -hmm. he says that shooting for eighth grade reading level is usually the best, especially because when I, someone's reading anything, uh, first things first, being able to get someone to read a web page is a great accomplishment and most people don't read the entire web page they'll skim through a page look at subheadings trying to get their answer as, as soon as possible so really finding a way to make every single part of your copy as simplified as possible definitely helps and i'm glad you mentioned both grammarly and hemingway app speaking of writing why did you write your ebook and how has it personally affected your business growth yeah, thanks for asking on the book. Before I jump into that, let me let me elaborate one more thing. It's interesting that that person mentioned eighth grade. A lot of the stuff that I read is is closer to fifth grade, but I, th I think there's definitely a purpose for eighth grade. So kind of the difference is that fifth grade is is obviously easier to read than eighth grade. And and to your point, people don't usually read the entire page. And so because they skim when it's on a fifth grade level, it's easier to read. When you start getting a higher grade reading level then it's harder to skim because there's bigger words and bigger sentences. But I think there's also value depending on your industry to intentionally disqualify some of your readers and do more in-depth content at an eighth grade level or college degree level or whatever, because depending on what your industry is, you don't want those people reading. Like they're not your customer. And so you want to scare them away. So just, that was interesting that they, they mentioned eighth grade. Um, as far as my book, so my book, I didn't mention the name, but it was called Outrank. And it, it took about two 
years to write. Writing was an interesting experience. I write a lot, but I've never written a book before. And what was interesting about writing a book is it, over the two-year process, it probably took about seven, eight, nine months to actually write. And then editing took way longer because, you know, you, you when you start the book, you have all these, at least for me, I have all these things I can talk about with my experience that I've, I've acquired over the years. And so I go, what do I want to talk about? And so I had to like spit that all out and figure out what are the potential topics. Then I had to align them and say, okay, here's kind of the flow or here's kind of the, the approach I can take. And then after I do that, then I have to go fill in the blanks and actually write the content. Well, after you write the content, well, then holy crap, now I got a 130 something page book. Now I got to read a freaking 130 something page book. And so then you have to go through and read it. And then as you read it, you go, oh, okay, well, now I understand the flow is a little bit different. This, you know, chapter seven would be better as chapter two, and chapter four would be better as chapter 10. And so then you rearrange the flow and then you go, holy crap, now I got to read a whole freaking book again because you just totally changed the whole, the whole flow of it. So you have to make sure it still reads good. And, and so you go from, like rearranging entire chapters to rearranging entire pages to rearranging paragraphs to sentences to words. And that took a long time. So after you write it, you, you get burned out a little bit. And so I took a little pause and then I resumed editing. And then after reading a 130 cent page book 57 times, then on top of running a business, on top of being a dad, then, you know, it's just, it was a long process for me, but I, I didn't want to half-ass it. And you see a lot of other books, especially in digital marketing, where it's just like spit out a book as fast as possible and then just like vomit it everywhere on the internet. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to actually bring a book that had value. And, and I know it's not going to be evergreen because SEO is going to change, but that it would last as long as possible. And so it was a long process. As far as it's helped business, um, one thing that's important for listeners to understand is books don't make you money like you are going to spend a crap ton of money. I mean, I'm probably in my book 30 grand, but it's paid for itself already. And, and so the way you make your money on books is, unless you're like doing, you know, science fiction or something where people buy it for the intent of reading for entertainment, you know, most books, I look at it as, a, as an expensive business card. So anytime I have a lead, I send them the book. Anytime I have a new client, I put it in our welcome kit. Anytime I meet somebody new, just I was talking to a guy on LinkedIn right for you and I jumped on, guess who's getting a book? So what happens is it, it emphasizes your credibility because not everybody writes a book, especially a legit book, you know, not just a four page PDF download. So it's really cool to be able to go, Hey, can I send you a book? Like here it is on Amazon. So you can check it out. Wink, wink, humble brag. But I'll send it to you for free. And then, and then they can see on Amazon that it's a legit book. They can see all the positive reviews and then it, it really underscores your credibility. And, and so one good example of, of how you monetize it is I had a, a client that was referred over by somebody I met on LinkedIn and they were introed on Friday and then somewhere between Friday and Monday, the person that referred us must have told him that I also had a book because by the time I had a, an appointment with him on Monday, the first thing that she said on the phone call was, I read your book over the weekend. I don't want to do all that crap. How much is it going to cost? And so like, it's just it, like, it helps qual it helps educate your readers uh, or your audience, at least for me, like I said, I'm very morally driven. And so I want to make sure it's a right engagement. And so it's been really nice to educate the readers because not only, not only does it help, qualify if it's a right fit, but then they can now help me 
help them better because they understand the process. They understand how time intensive it is. They understand the type of assets we're going to create and distribute. So it's, you have to leverage it as a source of credibility. You're not going to make money on it directly, but indirectly, absolutely. You can make a ton of money. And my final question is more on the hypothetical slash reflection of your career so far. So imagining here that we have like some awesome power to go back in time and start all over again, but you have all of the lessons that you've accrued throughout the years, how would you 10x your career path in terms of speed? What would you do differently to get where you are today, but just faster? Mm. Um, I kind of want to answer this and I kind of don't. So the reason why I don't, uh, I would change I will give you one thing I will change following me saying I won't change anything. Um, I wouldn't change a thing, dude. Uh, um, my career has been awesome. And the the older I get, the the more I'm appreciative of that. And in, in the most humble way, can I swear? <laughs> I am super fucking proud of myself. Um, and I don't realize until in, in years, in recent years, how uniquely my, my, how unique my journey has been in the ability to care for my family and protect them while still growing my business and networking and meeting people like Kenny and meeting people with other, uh, you know, meeting other cool people. I, I have no problem whatsoever giving without expecting anything in return because what happens is like the most amazing things pay back later tenfold to what you wouldn't have even expected. Like, um, I know the listeners can't see, but Kenny, like you can see on this wall right here, like I got all these cool plaques and things. And this big thing on the top is something I got a couple of weeks ago. It's a four page magazine spread in the centerfold of, of like this marketing magazine. I had no idea that was coming. I just, somebody asked if I could chime in and give some opinion on marketing and they ended up making it the centerpiece of a magazine that's, that is, printed physically to 27,000 recipients and online. I have no idea how many people read it online. And here I get the center spread on this widely distributed magazine just because I helped somebody out. And I was like, yeah, here's some, here's some answers to SEO. Which magazine is that? Sorry to interrupt. Um, Scotsman Guide. Got it. So I would be super hesitant to change anything. Uh, but, you know, if I had to give an answer, what I would do is I would hire a I would hire team members quicker. I would, I would document processes quicker. So what happened is, is I've always been very process driven, but um, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, it was like half of the processes were in my head and somewhere on a, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhere on a sheet, somewhere over here. And so what happened was a perfect storm. I had three things happen. One was I had a, a VC company reach out and say, Hey, we're buying this other marketing company. They don't do SEO. So we're thinking about, you know, would you be interested? And we can acquire you both and we can merge you together. And then we have like this mega company. And at the time I was a lot smaller, but I had, I, you know, proven our model to be successful. And when I went into that, that meeting, I ended up declining the offer because it was just a super sketchy kind of shady engagement. Just something didn't feel right. And so I, I declined. But what I learned in that process was that buyers want two things. One is they want to have a turnkey operation. So they want to, if they buy you, they want to take the keys and run. And then the other thing is they want to know where the fire is your leads so they can pour more fuel on that fire. And that really encouraged me to document my processes. Well, while reading, while going through that, I was also reading, listening on audible to uh, four hour work week and e-myth revisited. 
And I didn't take a lot away from four hour work week because a lot of things I was already doing. But one thing I one thing I really asked myself like immediately was why do I only have one or two VAs? And I I, I hesitate to say VAs. I only say that just so the audience can relate to to the skill set. But I, I say team member more than VAs or employees because my team is freaking awesome. You know that may lead, that's like a whole other conversation about the team loyalty and the culture we built. But I. At the time, I only had one or two VAs. And, and so within two months, three months, I don't know, I had like six or seven or eight. And we've just continued to grow. And so now I have 20 team members. And so when I when I listened to the, to for our work week, I, I realized I should scale more. But to scale more, you had to document processes. And that's what E-Myth Revisited contributed to and, and the, the discussion with the VC company. And so after that, I, I took like an hour or two every other day for a year to document all our processes and it sucked, but it was like the best thing ever because, um, now when we have a new, new account, I just go and push a button and literally 200 tasks get assigned to the appropriate individual team members with perfect documentation. So now when I hire a team member, I don't have to worry about quality control. What I do is I first, uh, qualify their skill set, obviously, depending on what job role they need to fulfill. But then after that, I trust my gut. I hire way more on a, on a gut feel on will they will they integrate well into our company culture? Will they maintain team morale? Because I don't have to worry about quality control. If I know they can do the thing that they need to do, that's great. I can find a million of those people. But what I need to know is that they're going to fit within the group and maintain that positive environment that we've built. And so with the with the tasks and documented now all i need to do is go okay do i trust them and then can they read and can they follow directions and then by you know day number one when i board a new team member it's like hey welcome to the team here's a project you're working on day number two is here's our crm and day number three is like goodbye like i don't want to micromanage um the, most of the conversations i have my, with my team are personal it's like how you doing how are things going um, anything I can support you with and they'll reach out if I can advise or help them with something. Uh, and so I really spend my time fostering relationships with them more than micromanaging them because everything else is documented. Amazing. And I will add both of those books and your book into the show notes with all of this being said, it's a lot to take in and I would definitely love to have you on for another episode, just to talk about managing teams. Yeah. So now all I have left to ask you is if someone wanted to connect with you online, where could they find you? Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. You can just search my name, Damon Burton, D-A-M-O-N-B-U-R-T-O-N. Um, I'm fairly active on Facebook as well. Um, you, you can find me on Instagram and other places, but that's my team. They're just repurposing my content. So if you want to have an actual conversation, then hit me up on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, SEOnational.com is the company website, DamonBurton.com. I talk about a lot of these, you know, things we discussed today. And then the last thing is if you want to snag that free book, it's freeseobook.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. And for the listener, again, I asked this in the previous episode. So I'll just ask again, we are interviewing people who work in SEO, uh, artificial intelligence, public relations, graphic design, copywriting, you name it. We are interviewing experts on those subjects. So I want to hear from you. Please let us know at kennysoto.com forward slash contact or at kennysoto on Instagram for any topics, questions, or specific people you would like to have on the podcast. Again, my name is Kenny Soto. You just listened to another amazing episode of my digital marketing podcast. And again, just thank you for your time. 
Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please share it, subscribe, and if you have any questions or comments, connect with me at www.kennysoto.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.